Great writers of all kinds have at least one thing in common. They tell stories in copy, in content, in books and poetry, sometimes even on packaging and postcards. There's something magical about the way that stories hold our attention. And our guest for this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is copywriter Mike Garner, who just finished an entire book about stories, a book that includes many of his own. While we were talking with Mike, we took the opportunity to also ask him about his experience with the Copywriter Accelerator program, what he learned from it, and how it's informed what he's doing in his business today. There's a lot of good advice that you might be able to apply in your own business. Rob, you are really good at writing introductions. I just have to note that right here. That was well written. Well done. I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> I cannot write an introduction for the life of me, so I'm impressed. Uh, before we jump in to the conversation, this episode is sponsored by the Copywriter Accelerator, which Rob just mentioned. It is our five-month mastermind slash coaching program for copywriters who want to build a profitable, sustainable copywriting business and make 10K a month in their business consistently. So if you have interest or want to learn more about the Copywriter Accelerator, especially as we talk about it today with Mike, go to thecopywriteraccelerator.com to learn more about it. Doors do close. So fair warning, doors close to the program today at midnight when this episode goes live. So if you're on the fence, definitely move fast. Yes. Okay, well, let's jump into the interview with Mike. Where do I start? Uh, well, I've been, a, I've been a freelancer for 25 odd years. I became, I was living in France. I lived in France for 20 years. I was in about, <clears throat> it's about 10 years into my time in France, perhaps. And I got to the end of the road in terms of employment. I've been a travel agent, lost that particular job. I tried, I trained to be a teacher an English teacher in France. It's a competitive exam. So if they want to take 2,000 candidates, for example, <clears throat> sorry, and you come 2,001st, well, that's just tough on you in the, in, the, in the kind of hierarchy, if you like, and I missed it by 0.4%, which was kind of very galling at the time. But now I, I, I thank my lucky stars because me and the French education system wouldn't have got wrong. But I got to the stage where I thought, well, what can I do? I know I can speak English. I can speak French. Let's be a translator. You know, this is the end of 1996. And you don't know what you don't know. And the first the first translation I took was my one and only ever medical translation. This is in the days before Alta Vista and even before, you know, let alone before Google. I just had a French-English dictionary that I had 20 years I had at school. And I did this translation with this thing. God knows how I got paid for it in the end, but I did. Anyway. Cut a very long story short, I, I built this thing up, start, starting by being amazed that people kind of gave me work and then paid me for it. But, you know, you, you kind of work things through. Then I got bored by being a... I got bored with translation because I got bored with translating other people's bad French because I had some I had some horrendous things. And, and sorry, engineers, but engineers write badly in any language. So I just kind of morphed into a copywriter because that was more interesting and... Yeah, I was I was an okay copywriter, but I'd, let's say I was I was paying the bills, but not much more. You know, I wasn't I wasn't setting the world alight in anything, but I was kind of happy doing what I was doing. I feel we're jumping into the next stage of the, the question you haven't asked me yet, but it's it's kind of I developed from there into more of a writer. Twenty twenty came along, and there was kind of a, a number of life changing events. I did a work with Margot Aron on my writing voice. I did the Alt MBA, and then I fell into the accelerator. And that is kind of the the end of the beginning, as it were. That's quite the path. So I'm curious, Mike. If anybody who's listening is going to be thinking, "Well, he doesn't sound very French." What took you to France in the first place? Why, you know, why leave England and and even head overseas? I did a summer job between the second and third year university at the British Rail office in Paris, selling tickets, really. And that's how I learned, and that's how I really learned, because I thought I spoke French, I did really, but when I went there, but that's when I really learned to speak French, because I, I was told to answer the phone. And that's when you notice the difference between what the, the, kind of the language you learn at school and the language that's spoken by real people. And without going into all the details, I basically stayed. 
Yeah, that, that was my next question is, so, you know, like a summer job, that's one thing, you know, I, I went to France when I was younger, you know, backpacked around a little bit, but I didn't stay. What was the hook that, that made you stick around? Oh dear. Well, I, I went back and did my third year. Then I, I went back to France because I had a job and a girlfriend. So kind of the rest is history. That's it. The girlfriend. Yep. Okay. It's always a pull. Yes. I would want to hear more about your translation experience because that is that okay. is definitely not my background. I'm interested in what lessons you pulled from that skill set or that experience or those jobs that you apply in your writing today. I, I think that is actually, th- th- there's a couple of periods. That's actually where, quite in all seriousness, that's where I learned to write properly, I think. Because, you know, I, I was, I, obviously I was at school, I didn't learn writing per se I did a history degree and we did I wrote kind of fairly academically and then for all the time afterwards I didn't as much as I wanted to I was desperate to be a writer actually but I I just couldn't get going I couldn't I couldn't find inspiration it was really hard and it was almost when I first started translating that I was writing by proxy I was I was writing through other people's words I mean they were boring technical documents most of the time but I was it was still writing um, and it's probably just as well that I've lost the floppy disks now that my original translations were, were on because they, they were, I know now, they were pretty horrendous. Because, and it was maybe just me, and because I was living in France, I was, I, was speak, I was writing English kind of tainted by French a little bit. There was kind of one or two expressions that you, you think you should be able to say in English, but you don't. And it was only when I moved back here into UK in 2003 and surrounded by the actual language that real people speak that I really became good and, and could and could write in a proper way, you know, to write like the, like the rest of us do, almost. So, so from that point of view, I, th- I think it, the, the one thing about speaking a foreign language is that it gets you to focus particularly on, the, on, the, on your mother tongue, for want of a better word. You do think more about it, and you, I think you pay more attention to it it's difficult for me to say because i haven't seen it from the other point of view. I, I was not one of these people that kind of was was writing as a kid and and you know writing stories since when i was kind of 10 or something like that because a lot of copywriters did i came to writing very very late i used to read a lot but i always kind of thought that writing was something that other people did and it's only really in the last couple of years that i've come to describe myself as a writer rather than just a copywriter or i mean it's a copywriter is a, is a different form of writer, just like a novel writer is, and you know, just like a, a, a ballroom dancer and a ballet dancer are two different types of dancer. We're, we're, we're a subset of the writers because we tend to think that writers, well, they write novels, don't they? But I, I consider what I do as an art, even if I'm writing emails. Yeah, that, I think that's common with a lot of copywriters. So, Mike, you used the word, you said you morphed into being a copywriter. Yes. How does that happen? You know, how do you go from what you were doing? Like, take us through the steps. Yeah, it basically means I, I did a, I did copywriting while I was doing translation. And and so, what did you do to, to make that happen? Because obviously, they're different, and it's a different client. It's kind of a different process. How did you make that switch? It's well, the translation was all was all agencies actually, and and the majority of them were in France and Belgium. So I had different relationships with them, and I and I really was an order taker with them and I've, this week I've had because I've been working with another one of my old translation clients just because I fancied going back a little bit and I had that kind of lesson this week because basically they the agencies will call you on a Tuesday evening and say can you do this for, for tomorrow morning um, and expect you to do it as well and be surprised when you say no I've got an evening yeah it's a different type of client with copywriting and I got most of the the early copywriting stuff from face-to-face networking so it, it was a very gradual process for a long time, I was doing more translation than I was actual copywriting. I must have done a fair amount of learning, and I must have—I can't remember the exact point where I started to really call myself a, a copywriter than a, rather than a translator. There was a there was a period where I kind of said I did the both, both of them. The trouble is, you stand up in a networking meeting and you say I'm a copywriter and a translator, and people only hear the last thing. And small businesses in southwest england the last thing they want is a translator so that didn't work very well and it's and it worked once i started identifying 
as a writer, as a copywriter, as a as a marketer in a bit in a in a bigger sense. So the the lesson there is that is, you know the, the the message that you send is really important. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important lesson. Even when you introduce yourself as kind of two identities, I can do this and I can do this, and you think you're giving people more options, but they're actually even more confused. I've heard some forty second pitches where people have said they do four or five different things. And you wonder why they get no business. I want to go back, and I don't. I don't think I'm asking the same question as Rob, but it's connected to it. You mentioned you had this hunger to be a writer, and but you thought it was something other people did. And then there was a moment. I think we're almost talking around the moment where you leaned into it and said, maybe you didn't say I'm a writer now or a copywriter, but you said, I want that. I'm going to go get that. And I know the accelerator played a role in it, and we'll get to that, but. I guess I'm wondering, like, how did you go from having that hunger and thinking other people did it to saying, "I'm going to do it"? What was that moment? Well, this, yeah, this, this is this is the central part of it, actually, because for years and years and years, writing, particularly writing for me, right? You know, you write your own website, you write your own promotional material, was torture. You know, I used to sit down in front of that blank page, and nothing would come out. And and anyway, then. The whole 2020 happened beginning of, of January before the whole thing really kicked off. We put my mother in a home because she had Alzheimer's and she couldn't survive at home anymore. So that was kind of quite an emotional big thing. A week later, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. She's fine now, but, you know, it's all, it all kind of happened. 2020 started with a bang. Then obviously COVID and lockdowns happened in, in, in March. We saw my mother in the home in the February, and you know she was she was happy enough. You couldn't understand a word she said because she'd lost all her speech, but she was she was fine. She didn't make it past six months in in the home because she had a big fall and she had a bleed on the brain, and she came out and basically she died on the twenty first of June, which was the day after my wife's sixtieth birthday. We're sure she was hanging on actually because I had to call. We had to call at six o'clock the next morning. The story gets better because it was then that I had this kind of realization. I thought, oh my God, I'm the wrong side of 60. I, my mother was 26 when I was born. So that's kind of my yardstick of what's going to happen in the future. Now's the time basically to get over all these insecurities that you used to have and, and, and basically just kind of sit down and do stuff. So I worked, I went on Margot Maron's program, Voice Lessons, and I went into that. And I'd, I'd kind of known of Margot before then, but anyway. And I went into that saying, I'm thinking I'm going to be open with you. I'm going to be vulnerable with you because what have I got to lose? And what I didn't reckon on was her digging out all my shame. I mean, I'm eternally grateful for Mar for, to Margot for that. But but it made me kind of just face who I'd been and, and the fact that it wasn't that, it wasn't that bad. And she, it was her that got me writing because she said to me, just because you write something down, doesn't mean you have to publish it and getting it out getting all this kind of head trash out of your head and not throwing it all over the internet you don't need to throw it all over the internet but you need to get it out of your head and she got me writing I wrote 20,000 words in three weeks something like that and a lot of it will stay on my hard drive forever it doesn't matter some of it has, has made it out into the open has been or is or will be published because and I realized a lot of this stuff wasn't bad but as long as it's in your head you can't edit it. You can't deal with it. It's like it's like the writing process generally. You know, we all know this stuff doesn't flow out of our heads like magic, despite what some clients might think. And it's got to be out there to be changed, to be thrown around, to be dealt with, basically. And I, I dealt with an awful lot of my stuff. And I've got little stories all over it, like we all have. Because I, ne I never thought I had anything worth saying. We all think, why would anybody be interested in what I've got to say? And the fact is that they are. So that's the basis of the, the book that I've written is, is all these stories. We all have stories worth telling. You know, if you want the rags to riches, go and read. I was about to say Elon Musk, but that's probably not a good example at the moment. All the, all the Shark Tank people, all the kind of the, the billionaires and everything like that. You're, they've got great books. You'll probably learn something from them. But ultimately, we can't relate to that kind of success. We can't. It doesn't mean anything to us. What matters is the people like us, you and me, who are just trying to make an honest living in our own little way, trying to make the world a better place. So that kind of got me on the path. When was that? That was a couple of years ago. Then I went through the old MBA. And then kind of 2021 was the Seth Godin Akimbo year. 
2022 has been the, has been the copywriter club year. And so will 2023 probably be as well. So then I fell into the... The reason why I got it, because we're going to talk about the accelerator, the reason why I got into that was because I'd been okay as a copywriter, but I hadn't done anything particularly great. You know, I was I, I was paying the bills, but not not setting the world on fire, as I said. And, and the reason for going the accelerator was to give myself some kind of structure, some kind of basis for, for growing. Because I was well, I didn't I didn't really know what I was doing, to be quite frank. I'm not sure I do now, but I mean <laughs> it's So Mike, as I listen to you talk, it sounds to me I mean this is something that I think most of us know. There's a pretty significant difference between copywriting, writing for clients, and writing for yourself. And and you've done both. You mentioned the book that you've been writing. Let's, and I, I think there are a lot of copywriters who find writing for clients very easy. You know, I can sit down and I can write headlines. I can write about the product. I can write an offer, that kind of thing. They can even do, you know, a very emotional writing, connecting with the, the customers of their clients, that kind of thing. But when it comes to writing about themselves, we struggle. And oftentimes that shows up as we try to write our own about pages, our own websites. But you even go deeper, you know, in writing, you know, a book that's very personal, you know, go into those kinds of life experiences and your own personal stories. So let's talk for a minute just about that side of writing. Why should more copywriters be doing more of that personal writing? And how do we get started? How do we write that stuff when we don't really know how to get started there? Because I, I, I think the personal stuff, stuff is the way you really differentiate yourself. Because there's three of us sitting here on a podcast, all three of us have the label copywriter. So in theory, we all do the same thing. But we all know there's a whole world that differentiates us. us. And what differentiates us is, is our life experience. It's the things that we've done in the past. It's the things that we bring to the table. You know, it's, it's my, my, my kind of history is that I've, I've, I am a copywriter now. I've been a translator, but it's, I still am a translator because I live in a multilingual world. And I've got a degree in history. Well, I did it 40 years ago, but I've still got the degree in history. So that means that I, what I bring to the table is I'm kind of analytic. I can, I can, I can interpret. I can work out what's important, what's not important, and things like that. What's important in terms of, I think, the difference between writing for clients and writing for yourself is emotional, and it's because it's it's far, far not too personal, perhaps, but it's far more personal. So there's all our again, kind of our head trash that kind of gets in the way. Because writing for clients is the kind of thing we can do in our sleep most of the time because we're just used to it. But there's all kinds of other, and everybody is different. There was all, I mean, I, I felt that, do I dare write that down? Oh, yeah, let's go and let's write it down. Let's see. You know. And there was times when I got quite emotional just talking about events in the past. What was I trying to say? So the, the important thing is that that's, it's what, is what sets us apart is, is our own stories. So our own personal narratives. It's what, I mean, in any business as well, the, the ones with a real backstory are the ones that you identify with. These are the stories that identify us. I think that's that's the difference. Yeah, it sounds like it almost, by writing our own stories, which again can be difficult for some of us because it is more emotional, we have more resistance to it. But by doing that, it kind of can help us grow as copywriters because it helps position us, help us connect to clients in a community and release. So it works together. I think it, I think it works both ways because it helps clients identify with us as well. It's, it's why, would, why would somebody choose me over you if we did the same thing? Well, because they prefer my story, they prefer your story and the way you present it and the way you present yourself and who you are and, 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 and all that. I think it, it makes us far more multi-layered, far more complex, so far more interesting like that. If we can, I mean, obviously someone like Laura Belgrade, the poster child for this, we know far more about her and her personal life because she's kind of very open with it and she's very successful with it. And no one's going to say she's oversharing. I mean, there's a danger of oversharing, obviously, and and you shouldn't talk about things that you're not comfortable talking about. But just going back to the original writing process, it's this getting it out, which I, I found made me more comfortable with who I am. So it made me more real. Yeah, and that's that's the real win from doing it. I, I do want to go back to your life-changing events, you know, sequence of events in 2020. Let's see if the question comes out clearly. But I wonder what someone listening could do 
to go after what they really want without necessarily, you know, falling into a sequence of events that could be, you know, huge and losing someone and, and do you have advice around how to do it without necessarily having a life-changing event? That, that's really difficult because, because I can only speak from my experience and I needed that. I mean, I, I hope anybody listening doesn't get to the age I when I was the, certainly seriously I was sixty, almost sixty when that happened. So I, I realise now I'm a very, very late developer. Maybe a better question. Maybe a better question then is for you. How do you how do you stay true to that? Because things have settled down, right? Things do settle down. How do you stay focused on continuing to go after what you want and not backpedaling and not maybe falling into previous identities? once things settle oh that's that's easier to say because because what's what's fundamentally changed is the way that i view myself and my self-esteem my, my sense of self-worth has has gone through the roof in the last couple of years and i've realized that i was worrying about things that i didn't need to worry about i worried far too much about what other people thought of me that doesn't mean to say i can be completely unempathetic and not care about what other people think about me because I realised that most of the time they didn't think what I thought they thought about them. You see what I mean? I'm almost attributing them far too much importance or I'm attributing far too much importance to me in their lives because people kind of in the great outside world, they're not thinking about me as much as I know. It's not even as much as I like them to. They're not. And, and we tend to get very worked up about what other people think about us. And, and because it's a negativity bias and everything, we always think things are going to go wrong rather than going to go right. And they're not really that bothered, which gives you gives us far more freedom to... I was on a call yesterday with someone actually said, I, I'm afraid that people won't listen or they're afraid that no one will hear me. Well, that's that's liberating, isn't it? That means you can get you can get good until people do hear you and to you know, start putting the stuff out of there. Because it's going to be rubbish. It's going to be bad. You know, any famous YouTuber, you go back to their original, their first three videos, and they are terrible. You only get better by practicing. And I think it's going to sound, this is going to sound brutal, this, but if I've got any advice to anybody that thinks kind of they're not going to be good enough or anything, well, get over yourself. Because, and I say that in the kindest kind of way, because it's not that important. Just go and try it. You never know. Because if you don't try, you'll never, you certainly will never know. And you will certainly stay in that little corner. And, and it's baby steps some of the time. I mean, with me, it's definitely baby steps. But then you suddenly realize after a year, wow, I've done all that in a year. But you don't realize it at the time. I think the title for this episode may be Get Over Yourself. <laughs> I, I, I think I know I need to hear that many times. That's yeah, good advice. Okay, Kira, so let's jump in here and just hit on a couple of points that Mike has mentioned in the first half of this interview. Uh, and before we started recording, we are talking about how going back and re-listening and going through the transcript in this episode, there are lots of little interesting things that uh, jumped out that there weren't always even huge topics of discussion, but just a line here, a line there. And one of the things that really intrigued me was when Mike was talking about writing for ourselves. And you know, what differentiates us, all of the different things that we can do for ourselves. Obviously, when we're trying to talk about our businesses, some of the stuff that we do, whether we're showing up on social media, writing on our own blogs, even talking on podcasts, we, we're oftentimes doing that kind of thing. And Mike said something really specific. He said, uh, I think he had gotten this from Margot Aaron, who has been on the podcast in the past as well. He said, just because you write something down doesn't mean that you have to publish it. And I think that's really, really good advice for just getting stuff down on paper and start working through all of this kind of material that then we can turn into stories, we can turn into talking points, whether it's on a podcast or a blog post or, or whatever. But just uh, that idea that getting things out of our head is the first step, but that doesn't mean it's the last step. And it's it's certainly not even the most important step if you know we're editing things down for an audience. Yeah, there's so much there about getting unstuck. And I, I think as writers especially, it's really easy to not write for ourselves, um, especially if we're busy trying to get clients and we're busy writing for our clients. But I do think there's a term I'm going to throw out there, see if it sticks, um, copywriter 
constipation. And <laughs> when you're stuck and you're not getting your own ideas out into the world, um, I think that it can really uh, start to affect your self-esteem at times. I think it could really um, prevent you from growing and from feeling comfortable with who you are and just feel like more insecure in, in your writing and your business. So the fact that Mike talked about how it's helped him to just get ideas out there and even to share some of those ideas and to pretend like no one's actually reading what you're writing and have the realization that no one really cares, which I remind myself all the time. So it, it truly is about getting over yourself because we think that everyone's paying attention and and everyone's hanging on to every word we write. And it's just not the reality. Even if you have a decent following or community, um, people are caught up in their own lives and don't really care about what you're doing, which is a freeing a thought. And so um, this is something that I've had to work on too, because for a while I wasn't writing my own copy for, for me and I was feeling stuck. And so I had to start putting ideas out there and just letting go and not worrying about what would happen after you release it into the world. And that just gave me an idea for the title of this podcast. It should be something along the lines of copywriter metamucil, how to get the ideas flowing, something like that. So uh, before we talk about more of what Mike is talking about, though, uh, what are some of the things that you've been doing to get ideas out of your head and down on paper so that you can get going? Because as Mike talked about, you only get better by practicing, but you can't practice if you can't get the words out. And so I'm curious what you do uh, to, to you know, get the words out. Well, I think a, a big shift for both of us, or at least for TCC, um, was after our interview with Laura Belgray, where we talked a lot, our second interview with her, where we talked a lot about writing daily, sending daily emails. And it was kind of that light bulb moment for me, even though I'd heard that before. She isn't the first person to say it, but I was like, yeah, we just need to write more, produce more, send more, because that's what we do. We're writers. So why are we not doing that? And so then it was, I think, just um, a freeing moment where we started to ramp up. You started to write two emails a week. I started to write two emails a week, just sharing experiences, lessons, updates, and just knowing that you and I committed to that. It was like, well, I'm going to do it no matter what. Um that was just really freeing to make that commitment, first of all. And then it forced me to start paying attention more in my life, pay attention to the details of my life, to be more of an artist, like Mike says, because we all are artists and pay attention to all those tiny details. So I could save those notes in my phone, in my folder, and maybe it will turn into an email. And I think you do something similar. What is what is your process? Yeah, I have notes that I keep, uh, you know, I just have a, an ongoing document that every time an idea occurs, I'll just drop it in there so that I can come back to it. I was thinking about some advice that we got from one of our friends, uh, well, two of our friends, really, Robin Kennedy, um, who are in a mastermind group that we've been in with together. And I remember Kennedy talking about his writing process and how he looks for the least boring thing that happened to him during the day. So he's not even looking for an interesting thing. He's just looking for something that happened that is the least boring. It's, you know, the one thing that maybe stands out, that kind of a thing. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes that can turn into an idea for an email. And so I don't necessarily sit down at the end of the day and say, oh, what was the least boring thing that happened to me today? But I'm always trying to pay attention to the, you know, the stuff that's going on, stuff that I might be reading, stuff that I'm seeing other people talk about. And I'll just make a little note and maybe come back to it. But also talking about that, you know, when Laura uses a tool, I think it's called like 700 words a day. There's a, a, you know, something like that. It's a software um, or a website that you can just free write in. Um, you're a tiny habits coach and 700 may even feel really big. I, I recently came across somebody who was talking about, hey, to be a writer, just sit down and write 100 words a day. Sit down, you know, first thing in the morning, it can take 10 minutes. It doesn't have to be a lot. In fact, many of us could probably write 100 words in three minutes. Doesn't have to be a big thing. But again, you only get better by practicing, whether you're writing down things that you want to share, writing down things that are, you know, interesting or not. It's a good daily practice to be writing for ourselves, not just for our clients every single day. Yeah. And I might even say, you know, Robin Kennedy said, find the least interesting thing that happened to you. Uh, but maybe it, it, wait, no, what did, <laughs> did I just mess that the up? Least, the least boring thing. <laughs> okay. The least boring thing. I say find the least boring thing to write about. And I would say 
as writers, especially we could, we can find the boring thing and we can make the boring interesting. And that's, I don't think everyone can do that, but as writers, we have that gift to be able to do that. So sometimes I do look at what, what could look really boring from the outside, looking at my life or looking at my day, but actually is the opposite because I know that little detail, you know, playing Monopoly with your family or your kids could look boring from the outside. But if you look deeper, there's all these competitive, you know, <laughs> this competitive energy. And then there's siblings teaming up against each other. Like there's so much happening and so dynamic. So I think that's a good way to look at it too. It's like, what does seem boring, but you as a writer can make it interesting. Looking forward to your next email about the battle of who gets to be the race car in the Monopoly game. I was the dinosaur and my husband and son teamed up against me and had like a good old boys club. And so, and then my daughter would not team up with me. So that's just explains <laughs> a lot. It's like, I'm on my own again. Thank you guys. That's brutal. Brutal at the hug home. Yes. Um, what else, Rob, stood out to you? So uh, the, we'll talk a lot about this, I think, in the second half as well. But one thing that just kind of jumped out at me, as Mike mentioned, some of the programs that he's gone through um, and some of the people that he's worked with, really high level, and yet he still wanted to join a program like the Accelerator just to add some structure to his business. So it's, you know, there's lots of things that you can learn from different mentors at different times. And I just noticed that, you know, as he was talking about that, that that was the very first thing that came to him as to the reason why he would join the Accelerator. He wanted some structure around his business, around getting, overcoming the resistance to writing, to, you know, connecting with his audience, to getting the book done, all of that stuff, which he got from the Accelerator. What stood out to you? I love that Mike is so open about his love for copywriting. He is one of, one of many copywriters, but who like truly just is so passionate about the craft of copywriting and, um, and which is really cool because he came, he did come to this career later in life. And so for me, it's just also inspiring to see that we can have career changes, you know, throughout our lifetimes and it, and there's so many opportunities out there at different uh, points in our journey. And so I just love his story and how he talks about that. Yeah, that was, that was, Definitely interesting. There's a lot of us that come to copywriting late. Uh, I, I wasn't necessarily one of them, but we've certainly talked to a lot of people. You start in other careers, and it's not too late. Uh, it's not too late to start writing a book if you're 50 or 60. It's not too late to jump into copywriting if you're 50 or 60, or maybe even older. Uh, and so, you know, oftentimes people come to us like, "Oh, I'm, you know, I'm 35. I feel like I'm too old to get into this game." That's not the case at all, because there are plenty of people having a lot of success that are close to twice as old as uh, those at the bottom of the scale. Yeah. And then the last thing that's worth noting, um, and I don't want to skip over, is we talked a little bit about how when you're speaking to a potential client, even a colleague, you don't want to overwhelm them with everything you could possibly do to help them. And this is a common challenge for writers, for copywriters, where we're like, oh, I can do this for you. I can write emails and I can write case studies and I can do write your website. And I could also, and by the time the person's done talking to you, they have no idea what you truly specialize in, what you really can own, how you can really help them because you've overwhelmed with them with all the options. And so um, if you can just take it conversation by conversation, every conversation could be different. What I say to you, Rob, I may Depending on what we're talking about, I may sell one service or one, I may position myself as a problem solver and I can solve this particular problem you're talking about. And then the next hour, an hour later, I might talk to someone else and position myself differently and present a different package and solution to that person. But I would not in one conversation with you present like five different options of what I can do because I'm going to lose your interest and you're going to go to someone else. Yeah, I think that goes to one of the points that we talk about oftentimes in our programs like the Copywriter Accelerator, where you need to have that starting point, uh, the problem that that person has that's the most immediate. And 
oftentimes, you know, we'll talk about having some smaller projects that you can get started with people that get a sense of working with you. But if you can figure out what is the thing that you help with, you don't have to worry about all of the things that you can do. And even all of the things that you may someday do for them, you just need that first thing, that first problem, that first hit, that first experience of working with you. And if you can get that, you're way ahead when it comes to being able to sell all of those other things that you can do later on. All right, well, let's get back into the interview with Mike to find out a little bit more about his book writing journey. I would love to talk a bit about your book and the process of writing your book. Obviously, you know, you, you it's, it's kind of gets into personal stories. It's not necessarily a book about copywriting, which a lot of us, you know, would think, hey, I'm going to write a book about, you know, how do I build funnels or marketing or, or whatever. I think yours is a little bit more personal than that. Tell us why you wrote the book, what the book's about, and maybe we can dive into the process a little bit. Definitely not a book about copywriting. There are some copywriters in it. It started off, I mean, I, it's been two years since I started this book. Like I say, it's the, it's the work with Margot. The work that I did was I started writing my story from a wee kid until, well, certainly until I was 30, because that's all the, the kind of the formative stuff. It's changed a lot since then. Yeah, I, I did think, I, I've made a couple of attempts to write books about copywriting, and I thought, well, I don't really want to write this, if I'm quite frank. It's not, it's not lighting me up, and who wants another copywriting book? You know, there's plenty of copywriting books out there, really. So... Actually, thinking about it, I read Claude Hopkins' My Life in Advertising because I'd never read it before. I'd read scientific advertising, but I'd never read his memoir. And I thought, oh, that gives me an idea. And it's, this thing started life as my own personal memoir, and I wasn't necessarily even going to publish it. And then it could, because I was working with a book coach, and it morphed into one or two other things. And then, then I had this kind of great revelation about the stories that need to be told and and it went from there so I've broken it down into the various stages of kind of the, the stuff that we tell ourselves that we you know we were all told things when we were young you know don't get your hopes up don't don't overthink don't you know money's too tight to mention the kind of things we were told as kids and they kind of form our our ide- ideology as adults and then they, there's kind of one or two stories that happened to the people I talked to when they were kids or when they were teenagers that kind of formed their life later on. The reasons why we start businesses as well, because there's all kinds of different reasons why we start businesses. Then we I talk about the 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 things that you can expect when you run a business, what it's like and how and why you should you can tell your story in any kind of way you want. Don't let anybody particularly on LinkedIn don't let anybody else tell you how to tell your story. So, so it's all based around those kind of themes. And I suppose if there's if there's any kind of goal of the book is to people to finish it and say, yeah, I can write mine too. I can be kind of open and honest about things and it will do me a lot of good. You mentioned baby steps and how you've taken a lot of baby steps, which, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of all the tiny, yes. tiny habits, baby <laughs> steps. What are some of the baby steps you took in the accelerator and even maybe after the accelerator that helped you morph into the copywriting business you desired? I kind of fell out of the accelerator straight into the think tank. Um, so that, that, was a, that was not at all a baby step. That was, that was one. That was a big step. That was a jump up a mountain, that one was. Well, let's maybe talk about the baby steps that other people maybe could take similar baby steps in their business. I've spoken to a few people recently who are thinking about going into the accelerator. And what I've just said, all I've said to them was, it will help you lay the foundations. And I think the baby steps that I took were, I, I stripped my ideas back to the basics. I thought, right. I'm starting from scratch here. I mean, there was a few people in my cohort that really were starting from scratch. But let's say, right, forget the last 20 years or so, forget everything I've learned, I'm going to start again. Um, so the beauty of the accelerator is that it is kind of in what seven or eight stages, isn't it? That, that you, you kind of go back to basics and say, right, why do I want to do this in the first place? What do I want it to be further down the line? I, I was slightly freaked out in a way by the what will you be in five or 10 years time thing? Because that's not a kind of period I really want to think about at the moment. I'm quite happy with a year's time, but 
five or ten, I'm not sure. But I can still work on a year's on a year's timetable. And yeah, it's the it's the it's the breaking it down into the working out who you are and what who you're selling to, basically, and how you're going to do it. Um, and it's it's funny because I've done it a lot for other people, but I've never really done it properly for me. You don't think about these things. You think about them for other people, but I guess it's coming back to the same thing, isn't it? You, you know, shoes and cobblers and all that. It's and when you sit down and and you almost take time out to to think about how you're actually doing things without over-egging it, it's it's a slightly salutary process as well. It requires a certain amount of humility, I think, to think I've been doing this wrong in the past. And now I'm going to do it right, which is the path I'm hope I'm on. So, so there's obviously a major rethinking about your approach to business mindset. What else came out of the accelerator for your business? I think that's the main thing. Then there's there's a lot of kind of side benefits, if you like. It's 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 the it's a community of people. It's talking, being able to talk to people right across the world which kind of still blows my mind but that's uh, because I'm I'm of an age where talking to people on the other side of the world was a really big thing you know you should get on a call to Australia and it sounded like they were on the other side of the moon and you needed a mortgage to pay for it so jump just just jumping on a zoom call to someone in New Zealand you know in in my evening there's a 13 hour time difference between me and the people the person I do still talk to from the accelerator in New Zealand you know and it's my six o'clock in the evening it's her seven o'clock the next morning I still can't get my head around that but but it's it's talking to all these other people again coming back to the story thing we're all copywriters 30 or 30 or 40 copywriters aren't we together but we're all so completely different and and we all get it's going to sound like a big loving but we all get on and there's no kind of there's no competition really because there's enough work out there for all of us if we're, if we're quite honest. So on a purely selfish level, I got one hell of a lot of validation out of it, actually. It, it was just a kind of a, a, a great experience for me to be able to sit down and and work through these things, these these the plans that I had, and workshop them, basically, because that's that's the basic principle of it. You, you get down and talk to other people, say, hey, what do you think about this? Am I doing this right? And sometimes people will say yes, and sometimes people will say, well, you could do that perhaps slightly differently. Oh, yeah, I'll do this differently. And I, on a purely selfish level, I think I'm I'm better for it, which again sounds a bit woo-woo, but I'm sorry. <laughs> but how, how are you better for it? What specifically? I'm, I'm more I'm more comfortable. I've got, I've got a little bit of work from it. I mean, in terms of the actual, let's kind of dress the elephant in the room as it were i'm reinventing my business so i'm i'm i haven't got tons of work out of it yet but i think what i've got out of it actually thinking about it is i know where i'm going now whereas i was just muddling through before i was i was working almost month to month in the famous feast and famine and now yeah there's up and down times there are times when i think oh i'm not sure what i'm doing here but i, I decided not to say I'm making it up as I go along anymore. I'm working it out as I go along because I think think that is actually the baby steps. It's it's accepting that you haven't got all the answers, but you'll work them out. Maybe that's the the essence of running a business. So so moving forward, Mike, tell us a little bit about this business that you are building out of the accelerator, out of the think tank experience. Who who do you serve? What kind of work are you doing? The work I'm doing at the moment is well. Once I get the book published, hopefully in January. Um, that is, it's it's building around these stories. And now that can mean an awful lot of things. It can mean email, it can be any kind of content, or it can just mean helping people to work out what their story is and how to, to tell that story. I'm, I'm, if there's a central tenet to what I believe, coming back to the book, is that all these what we call insignificant stories are really what keeps the world going around. That's why you can't move on the internet for for storytelling podcasts. You know, the moth is is incredibly successful, but a lot of the time their stories about nothing in particular. But we love them because that's what that's what people relate to, and that's what I think businesses should be should be saying about themselves to draw in 
clients. And just to be clear, you're talking about the Moth, which is a podcast and a yeah, sorry, the Moth, the podcast, the podcast, and and the and the, the organization, yeah, storytelling organization. I want to help people tell their story basically better through different ways. You know, we were talking about the accelerator and the community element, and we talk about that frequently. That pops up. That's a huge benefit, I think, that people don't expect. And you, but but not everyone jumps fully into it. You have, you have, we've seen you do it. You and you are the person who will reach out and jump on meet and greet coffee chat calls, and you've built an incredible network of writers and creatives. So, can you just talk a little bit about how the benefits of that? Because I know, for one, you've been able to practice your coaching and storytelling skills by getting on calls with people and you just will coach them through their story just as a gift. You don't get paid for that necessarily, but you do it as a gift and you've, and you've gained confidence and that clarity from doing that. And then also, I know you have such a great network. You can kind of reach out as you do need projects and there's a benefit to that. So can you just talk about like how it's worked for you? Because I think that's the missing piece for many writers who don't even know what to do if they had a network. I've been networking face-to-face for 15-odd years, and it's just a question of, of trusting trusting conversations and seeing where they'll go. You know, the, the, the friend of mine from years ago used to say that incredible things come from small conversations, and, and sometimes nothing comes from them, but, but quite often something, something does, and you never know when a conversation will be useful to you. Yeah, I, I've spoken to a number of people, particularly in the accelerator, and and had calls with them just to, they weren't completely unselfish because I was, again, yeah, I was honing my skills and, and, and seeing what people said to me in response to the questions that I had. Because you know, it's like anything, you, you can dream up all the kind of the systems that you want, but until it hits real people, then you, you've had no idea what the reaction is going to be. Some of these conversations have led to actual work for me as well. But I, I just like, I suppose I just like planting seeds. I'm a bit of a chatterbox as well. I just like talking to people, which is strange because I used to think I was an introvert just because I'm a bit shy face to face. But I did a Myers-Briggs test a while ago. And it turns out I'm 67% extrovert. So, hey, it's difficult to say specifically, but I've, I've, I, I just love planting the seeds and seeing what will happen. Can you give some examples, though, Mike? Because you again, you've done this recently, and you'll share updates with us. But like concrete examples of what that might look like. There are a couple of people in the think tank that I've been talking to about about subcontracting, just because we've had a number of calls in the past just to catch up, really. And you yeah, you build that trust, or even in the in the in the main copywriter club group as well. There's it's. I think it's a question of showing up and then asking, asking people in the right way, you know, particularly this time of year, there are people around that they've got loads of work, they don't want to work. I'll take it off you because I don't particularly, why I don't, I don't mind working over Christmas. So, so I've got stuff from that. But what is the right way? Like, could you even share just an example of something you might say on one of those calls? Because I think the asking is the hardest part. It is. It is asking. Well, there was one particular call that I wasn't even expecting. And we were just talking about, we were talking about my process, actually. And someone actually said, I will pay you to do that. And I, I wasn't even, I wasn't even pitching, to be quite frank, at all. I, okay, you can pay me for it. And, and then obviously, we talked about the kind of mechanics of it. Yes, I think it's a question of recognising the opportunities and, and, when they arise, because it's 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 difficult not to be a bit spammy about this. You know, there there are there are things that you say. You know, like oh, I can help you with that, or would you like me to help you? Or, would you like help with that? And things like that, rather than the kind of in your face sales pitch, because that that puts people off, even if you're in the nice conversation with them. Because there's a natural defence that comes up, and because you think, oh, I, I should be able to do that myself. I, I can't say specifically what words you should use because that depends on the conversation in which you that you're in. But you'll see triggers because people don't won't want to ask you either most of the time. They won't want to say because they don't want to admit that they they can't do this this stuff. I mean, when it's subcontracting, you know, emails and you've got too much work on, that's that's something else. 
But when it's it's the more storytelling, what we've been talking about since the beginning, really, the more storytelling, the message and the personal stuff. There's an inbuilt people. There's an inbuilt feeling that people have that they should be able to do it themselves and should be able to work them out, work it out themselves. And sometimes they can, and sometimes they really want to ask for help but don't know how. So you you engineer the conversation to to say, would you like some help with that? But in, in but perhaps in other words, but that's basically what it means. So, Mike, as we move into the new year, or is the new year already? Yeah. Where are you taking your business? Where you know? Where do you see you growing? What's next for you and what you're doing? Carrying on what I'm doing now, I plan to do more YouTube. I like to kind of get a YouTube channel going because I think it's worth people coming on and talking about these stories. The way I view it at the moment, it will be half me talking head stuff and me talking to other business owners, just like I've done in the book, really. The YouTube probably will be an extension of the telling stories. I mean, the whole book is called, and the YouTube channel is called Stories That Matter. You know, it's it's the everyday stories of extraordinary business people. Because when it comes down to it, we are all extraordinary. In other terms, I would love to be able to, it's going to sound wishy-washy, but again, help businesses tell a better story. That's, that's what kind of lights me up. Now, that can be in lots of different ways. It could be in kind of mechanical writing ways, like emails or like, case studies or whatever you want to call them, but also workshopping these things with the with an entire team to get them to think in another way, to get, to get them to think that these little things matter because that's what people are interested in. And this is going to be extra self-promotional for us, but why not? Why not? We talked about the community in the Copywriter Accelerator. And so... Can you also share your experience from working directly with the two of us? Like, what did you get from that type of coaching and support along the way? Upscaling my expectations, I think, because perhaps in the past, my self-esteem wasn't as much as it could have been. And, and this is still going on, actually. Now, it's not just, it's not, we're not stopping in time. This will go, I expect this will go on in the future. Is, is helping me basically see how good I am because it's, it's very difficult for, I mean, I'm talking not just talking about me here, I'm talking about everybody else in Accelerator or any of the other groups as well. We don't realise how good we are half the time because when, when we think about the, the things that our clients trust us with, particularly if you're you know, a client that's just starting, just launching, you know, there's an awful lot lying on that, and and we perhaps sometimes should give ourselves a bit of a and, and you two and the and the community generally has made me think. Yeah, I'm actually quite good. I'm going to take your advice and give myself a little bit of a break here as well. I, Rob, I, Rob, I give you compliments all the time. Kira, you <laughs> got to give me a break. It's time to. I say nice things to you all the time. No, that's good. <laughs> So, Mike, if you could go back in time and, you know, maybe revisit just as you're starting out in this journey of yours, what advice would you give to yourself? Ooh, well, as I said earlier, get over yourself. No, it's, it's, I'm a massive overthinker, I think. And the advice would be just strip it down to basics. Don't run before you can walk because you have to put those baby steps in, those walking steps in before you can, without kind of putting revealing too much about my psychological state at the moment i'm very good at living in the future and i think sometimes personally i need needed or even need now to live a bit more in the present to be able to have that future that i'm dreaming about and i think perhaps a lot of that's a lot of our frustration say our as a community our frustration is that we aren't where we think we should be and in fact where we are is probably quite good as well yeah that's that really speaks to me where can we go to find you if we want to connect with you at this point what's the best place at the moment the best place is probably link mike garner copywriter the there will be a website stories that co, which is in the process of being finalized where there's there'll be an email sign up there and very soon the book will be available and when it is we will share it so people can get a hold of it, see see what they can learn from you about telling better stories and the stories that maybe 
some of them won't even see uh, see the internet or see the see the print, right? The, the stories you need to get out. No, because I think I think the point of all these those stories is it's people you've never heard of, or we've heard of as copywriters because they're in our community, but outside the community, no one. And, and that's why they matter. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate it. That's the end of our interview with Mike Garner. Before we wrap, what else stood out to you, Kara? A lot of the mindset conversation we had with Mike, even just how he uses language and how he speaks to himself um, to kind of take more control ownership over his his business and his path. So he said, you know, he will often say, he stops saying, well, I'm making it up as I go along, which we, we, you know, we frequently say, I'm just making it up as I go along. And now he's saying, I'm working it out as I go along. And just even that change in language can change the way you think about yourself and think about what how you're operating in the world and in your business. So um, those those word changes can be helpful. Yeah, I agree. I think there's something similar to Mike didn't really mention this, but uh, it comes with being open and honest and transparent and even vulnerable when we're talking about our businesses. And oftentimes we phrase things in a way because, you know, we're trying to be humble about what we do. We don't want to necessarily be braggadocious or, uh, you know, be that person that says I'm all that. But when we're talking with our clients, we need to show up as an authority and using language like that, that diminishes what we do, diminishes either the contributions that we have or our own skill sets or what we bring to the table or emphasizes you know, all of the mistakes that we've made. Yeah, it's okay to be vulnerable to talk about some things. But if all you do is say, oh, I made this mistake. And then I also made this mistake. And I'm horrible at this thing. And I'm lucky that I got that in my life because of all these other things that were going wrong. That starts to build on it on itself. And at some point, you're like, well, are you an authority or not? And so it's definitely good to be open and to be honest. But at some point, we also need to step up and, and like Mike, you know, reword some of the stuff or rethink some of the stuff that we've got going on in our own heads that we sometimes vocalize and show up as an authority, especially when it comes to working with our clients who need to trust us as that authority. Yeah. And another good way to show up as an authority on any type of discovery sales call, call you know, meet and greet call is to talk about your process and we do, you know, we do help copywriters figure out their process, all of their processes in the Copywriter Accelerator program. But that's really the key. And Mike said that he he he'll share his process, you know, with a with a colleague on a phone call and say, start talking through it. And the other person, the copywriter, is like, oh my gosh, I will pay you to do that for me. And so that's not uncommon because when we talk about our process, and if we can talk about it in a way that speaks to the benefits every step of the way, that's the easiest way to sell somebody on what you do and how you do it and why you're different. And that's something that we can we can all control and we can all do it when we're connecting with prospects or colleagues. And I also like that he mentioned um, sometimes when you're talking to an ideal client, they they might be they might struggle to admit that they are stuck or like that they're really bad at something or that they're struggling with something in their business. And I never really thought about that before. Um, but I think that's definitely a good way to approach those approach those conversations because some business owners before they hire you or clients before they hire you, like they might really struggle to open up and say, this isn't going well. That's why I need help. And so just making sure that's a nuanced conversation too, where you approach it from, you know, really like, how can I help you with that rather than saying, oh, it seems like that's broken, that's not working, um, because that may be a harder approach with certain prospects. That's a really good point. And I think to take it even a step farther, sometimes the business owners that we're you know working with, talking to those prospects that we have aren't even sure why it's not working, or they may not even be certain of the problem. You know, they, they see that things should be going differently, but they, they don't, they're not able to diagnose it because they don't have that experience themselves. Maybe they're just starting out, maybe they're, you know, a small team and they, and they just don't have, uh, you know, the context that they need to be able to diagnose it. And that's where we can be very valuable as copywriters. 
by asking the right questions. You know, if, if you're showing up on a discovery call and you're just selling yourself and, and, you know, I can do this for you, I can write the website, I can make sure that, you know, the headline looks good and that the CTA is in place. If, if that's the focus, then you're never going to get to that deeper conversation where you can actually help solve those problems. And there's a whole list of questions that, you know, take you deeper in understanding your potential clients' business, their marketing. And by asking them, you can draw out some of those problems that you, maybe they are aware of them, but they may actually not be aware of what's you know, the, some of the underlining stuff that's really hurting them and their ability to grow. Yeah. And there could be a lot of shame around it too, especially as some of these problems are unearthed on a, a call you know, with this copywriter and the copywriter is telling you about what's broken or what could be fixed. And I think as a business owner, you know, it's, you could feel embarrassed, like, wow, I didn't even know that was a problem or wow, I should be better at that. And I'm not. And so it's just a delicate conversation that takes practice to really figure out how to approach it. There's a lot of good conversation about the Copywriter Accelerator. Uh, we teased it in the, in the intro and we mentioned, you know, if you're listening to this podcast on the day that it goes live, today's the last day to get into this round of the, the accelerator. It'll be open back up in fall of 2023. Um, but a couple of things that really jumped out and there's things that we hear quite a bit, you know, Mike talked about the community and like you were mentioning, getting, you know, validated by, you know, other people as you talk through things like your process or some of the things you do and have other people say, oh, wow, that's amazing. You know, I can borrow that. And that happens in, in the other way too, where you'll be talking to somebody who's got something amazing going on in their business that you can borrow. That community is so valuable. And it's one of the reasons why we focus so hard on curating smaller groups of copywriters who get to know each other very well, get to you know share feedback, possibly work on copy together. They can even share leads. But creating the basis for a network of copywriters to be part of your support system is one of the things I think we do pretty differently and pretty uniquely in the accelerator. And while on the outside, you're like, oh yeah, you know, it's a network, it's copywriters, whatever. Once you get inside, you start to realize how truly priceless that is for your business growth moving forward. Yeah. And we attract really cool writers to our, our, our world. And to, yeah. to the, I mean, I just, I'm amazed. I'm blown away when we meet them. I'm just like, wow, what we must've done something right somewhere along the line because these people are just incredible. And I want to be friends with them, all of them, because they're just um, smart and humble and kind and generous and creative and ambitious and all the things. So I think that's what makes the network work. It's people you actually want to connect with because you can jump into any type of mastermind and network, but if they're not really your type of people, then it's not going to happen. So um, chances are, if you're listening to this, you <laughs> these are your type of people and you're really going to hit it off with them. Um, on another note, Mike said, you know, I think we asked him something about like the impact from the accelerator and his exact words were, I'm, I'm better for it. You know, I got work. I reinvented my business. I know where I'm going. I'm not working month to month. And so I think that like that seems worthwhile. Uh, and I'm glad he shared that. One last thought is just, you know, towards the end, we're talking about don't run before you can walk. You know, it, there is a process. And while there are ways that you can, there are shortcuts, there are ways that you can speed up your your success or what you're building uh you you do have to start with the beginning you have to lay a good foundation for everything that you're doing uh, as a writer that means daily practice as a business owner that means treating your business not just as a, a you know the the thing that makes writing possible but it's really the thing that brings in the money and the writing is kind of the extra bonus on top and there are so many ways to apply that advice in our lives you know across the board but if uh, you know if you're listening to what Mike is sharing, maybe it's worth taking a step back or even stopping and saying, okay, uh, am I trying to run over something that I haven't really figured out yet? And what do I need to do to go back and figure out so that I can really run and pick up speed with everything in place? Yeah, and uh, like he said, be present so you can have and create the future you're dreaming about rather than what I tend to do, I think what Mike tends to do is like we try to just jump to the future. We want to just be there. And what it takes to get there is actually to be in the moment, present, focused on what you're doing right in front of you. And it's so hard to do that. Um, but it's just another good reminder. 
All right. Well, we want to thank Mike Garner for joining us on the podcast today. If you would like to connect with him, uh, and you definitely should, you can find him over at storiesthatmatter.co. And you can also find him on LinkedIn at Mike Garner. If you want more episodes similar to this one, check out episode 145 with Jay Pitkinen about trusting yourself. And check out episode 297 with Mary Adkins about writing and publishing a book. That was a good one. Yeah, she actually just posted on Twitter a week or so ago about how much fun she had on this podcast. So that was really nice of her. Yeah, it was really nice of her. We had fun. We had fun too, Mary. Just one last reminder, if you have any interest in the Copywriter Accelerator, today is the last day to jump in to this group and start building your copywriting business. We officially start February 1st. So head to thecopywriteraccelerator.com to learn more and jump in. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you enjoyed what you heard, please visit Apple Podcasts and leave a review of the show. Uh, If you do that, we'll read it at some future time. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better, copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club.